that you were surprised when you went to jail, for better or for oh. worse? Hey, listen, uh, we, we do have to go. Surprised? I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I've never been in jail before. I've never been arrested before. The most scariest serial killer to me, Bundy. But behind those eyes, it's the most scariest individual. Whatever was going on in this man's head. I mean, I can't even imagine. But before we go into Bundy, he has a crazy story. Your girlfriend. In the book, you have this girlfriend, long-distance relationship. I'm going to sum it up. But then she ends up getting murdered. Now, is there a connection from Bundy and her? These are questions I'm not sure about. And I was, what do you know? What can? Let's just talk about it. Let's talk about Deborah first. It's coffee talk with the tea My book is de- dedicated to Deborah. <laughs> Deborah Beeler. It's, it's still hard for me to talk about, by the way. And uh, I put that part in the Bundy book part um, as the last task in my book, which I didn't think I would actually ever really publish, but it got published. Um, she was living in Berkeley, going to graduate school um, and working with inmates in a prison. Uh, and one night somebody came into her apartment strangled her and killed her. Um, and I was in D.C. She was in Berkeley. And my father called me at 2 in the morning, and I knew something bad was going on. So I became a very big fan of the death penalty. I was going to find this person and just rip them apart limb by limb. And um, I went to Chicago for graduate school, as I think you know. I got a graduate degree after my law degree. I like being a student. Um, yeah. So uh, I had this little powerful dream. I didn't usually have many dreams that I remember. And it was uh, Debbie walking into my little apartment in Chicago and saying to me, don't honor my memory by believing in things I never believed in. So that was a real turning point in my life. That's when I decided I was going to be a defense lawyer and and try to save people from the death penalty and all kinds of things. Uh, Now, do I, I I cannot allow myself to even consider the possibility that Ted killed uh, Deborah. Oh, I did find out later on he was active in uh, California in some places. Um, but I don't know. Given you know. The, given the mo and everything, I don't think. Did you ever want to ask him when you were face to face? I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, he knew. That's what's really creepy. That's in my book. He knew that that had happened to me because I think it had been in a newspaper article or something that he had read. Um, but I didn't know he knew until he told me. Um, but he certainly didn't take any responsibility. And I, I don't think. I, I my guess is it was somebody from the halfway house where she was working. She wasn't assaulted sexually. And in the book, you say she was against, against you both were against the death penalty. She had the same views as you, you guys had just had a bond. Yes. True. Very true. First night we ever met, we spent uh, all night just talking. A neat thing that happened from all that is that her brother, Jack read my book and then got in touch with me and he and I have become friends and he came down to my house in Mexico and spent uh, 10 days with me down there. And uh, I, I have to talk about small world stories because I've gone to Debbie's parents' house in Philadelphia. And uh, I told Jack, I said, Jack, I think I slept in your bed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't certainly sleeping in Debbie's bed at her parents' house. Um, so another small world story. But he was very moved by the book, extremely moved by the book. Yeah. 
Definitely. Definitely. How could you not be? So now you're young. You're, you're, was Bundy like one of the first cases for you? You're in your 20s now at this point? Or? No, I, I, I was a public defender for two years. Um, and I, I ended up running the office, which was really amazing because all the people that worked for me were really better than I was. And they were all mostly older than I was. They didn't like this young punk being their boss. Mm. Uh, so it was a tough time, but we had a great staff. We won a lot of cases. Um, so I had a number of cases as a public defender. Then I decided to get out of that because the board of directors cut the budget down when I realized that we couldn't do as good a job. So I left, just hung up my shingle. I had $20,000 in the bank and a typewriter and a telephone. That's it. That was it. And then I started, uh, one of my first cases was um, uh, Jimmy's, uh, Al's sister. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, I had a lot of, Bundy was the first uh, national news case I had. Um, and, of course, the evidence against him at the beginning was very slim. Um, and I don't think Zach Efron portrayed the evil side of Bundy very well at all. I was going to ask you about that. There's so many movies about Bundy and who captured him, who didn't capture him. Oh, I know. And I got really tired of it. Uh, I turned down the Netflix request to narrate their um, documentaries uh, and also to be in the movie. Uh, I turned that down. Um, I call it the Bundy binge. And I found it pretty disgusting, actually. Yeah. Because he, I, as I said many times before, I did not believe that people could be born evil until I met Ted because um, I was not raised to believe that uh, people were born evil. And I didn't believe that. But when I met Ted, I, uh, I pretty much believed that he was born evil. You know, in your book and going through your Ted chapter, it's almost like I was picturing you as Donald Pleasance from Halloween. And he was Michael Myers, if that makes sense. It was just like, so Yeah. It's the only way I could picture it because when he would escape, you know, people you knew you knew he was he was going to kill again. It was just so crazy the whole, the whole story. So the first time you meet Ted, uh, when just meeting him face to face, what is going on in, in your mind? Did you did you know like thinking this guy? Man, it could be maybe he's not the killer, right? No, I mean he, you know he was arrested in Utah uh, for Carol Gavant's kidnapping, which she survived. I mean, she's <laughs> She's actually the hero of this whole story because she was the one that uh, eventually identified him. But he was um, released on bail from Utah at a very low bail amount. And I wrote in the book, and I think it's true, that they did that on purpose because they thought that they would follow him all through Seattle and that they would catch him. So I, and they, they had this. It was, it was like Keystone Cops. It was like yeah. they'd follow him all over the place. and. Jay would put on disguises and he would like bake cookies for them and take them to the patrol cars and all kinds of things. But um, what creeped me out is when I first met him is he would ask me like where I bought my clothes and what kind of clothes I had, what kind of car I drove and all that kind of stuff. And then a week later he would show up in my office with what I was wearing the week before. And then one time uh, in um, Florida when I was helping him, um, he said to me as I was walking out of the jail cell, he said, uh, you know, one of the reasons you've been my lawyer and legal advisor so long is because we're so much alike. And that creeped me out and still creeps me out. Um, and I think I went to the jail bathroom and threw up. Uh, and he later explained, I said, I told him before he was executed, I said, um, 
that really bothered me. He said, why didn't you say that? He said, well, because if I didn't go down the dark side, I'd want to do what you do. And so that was his explanation. Which he could have. He 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 wanted to be a lawyer, right? Is that what he wanted to be? He was smart enough. Yeah, he was certainly. But he wasn't as smart as everybody said. And he wasn't as handsome as everybody said. But um, he was clearly smart enough. But, but he was a fool. I mean, he was a narcissist. He's a yeah. sociopathic narcissist, just like some of our politicians these days <laughs> we can name a whole bunch of them you can feel free i don't care you know what are they gonna Sociopaths do sociopaths are the most dangerous kind of people they're not mentally ill um, <laughs> the best book i ever read about sociopaths is called uh, the legislature of one whatever they think is right is right um and so you know but they're really dangerous i mean they just decide whatever the rules are so you know ted would never I, I got a plea deal for him. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. It's, it's recounted in my book. But I got a plea deal for him where um, he would get a life sentence. And Florida, Utah, Colorado, and Washington would abandon any death penalty. Um, and it, that was quite a dramatic scene in, in my book. I won't I won't ruin it by saying it now. But in any event, he turned it down, obviously. Um, yeah. So that was a lot of work, too. Ooh getting him that deal. I mean, I don't know if I get a t- t- deal for Ted Bundy. I mean, how did you get, how the hell did you get that? You know, I think a lot of it was, I was working with Millard Farmer, who's a lawyer in Atlanta and a great lawyer. And he's passed away since and he was a very wealthy man and, and came from a wealthy family. And he started the, um, uh, Southern poverty law center with a bunch of other famous lawyers in Atlanta. And he came and helped me or I helped him with Ted. Um, so we basically beat Ted into it. I mean, I spent six hours with Ted and then go sleep in the hotel and Miller would come in and spend six hours with him. And we like deprived him of sleep and got him to sign all the paperwork <laughs> and everything. Uh, but sociopath, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't want to, my best definition of sociopath is somebody who you can count on doing things that are not in their best interest. Um, and basically ego-based. I mean, he definitely had an ego. You could see in the cameras, even when he was arrested, he, like, loved – you could tell in his eyes he loves the attention. Oh, yeah. Loved, no question. It. Well, it's true. almost like he did it for it. Yeah. Well, that's true because, you know, why did, he, why did he do that? But my famous story about him, which I think is the most interesting, actually, of the whole scenario is after his first escape in Aspen, and I had spent a lot of time in Aspen because our band used to play in Aspen all the time. And back then, Aspen was a country town and dirt mm-hmm. roads and rednecks. So we got chased out of town there in the band one time, gunpoint. <laughs> and there was, a ba- there was a bar in Aspen that had a sign up that said, uh, no hippies or dogs allowed. Um, but I knew Aspen pretty well. And so after his first escape, I flew to Aspen. And he's in this, he's in this Pitkin County Courthouse, which has a plaque on it that said, Doc Holiday slept here, which is true. Uh, and they have the old-fashioned bars that are flat metal, not round. And Ted was laying on the floor with a blanket, and there's two guards bring me down to his cell. And he was sleeping. I kicked the door and woke him up, and he rubs his eyes, and he looks at the two uh, guards and says, John, did you figure out which one of those two pushed me out of the window? Because <laughs> he escaped through a window. Um, <laughs> guards were not real happy with um, but in that conversation, because he had just been charged with the death penalty in Colorado, 
Um, I thought the death penalty statute was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. It was subsequently declared unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So he says in that conversation, where would a person go in the United States to really get the death penalty? And I, what did I say? Florida or Texas. And so when he escapes the second time, and that's another whole story. We could spend an hour talking about that story because the, the public version of Ted's second escape is not accurate. Uh, anyway, he's in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, watching the Rose, Rose Bowl game after his second escape. And there's a little ticker tape that comes along the bottom of the TV. It said, Ted Bundy escapes for the second time. And that was one day after he'd escaped. They never wanted to admit it that it was the day before for a lot of reasons. And then he goes from Ann Arbor and Chicago, where if you want to get lost in the United States, go to Chicago. Um, and so... He goes from Ann Arbor in Chicago to this small college town in Florida. But I told him, do anything wrong, you're going to get executed. I think they did. I think they actually did at some point. But, I, you know, I, they offered me money, which I could have used. But I, I just didn't want to do it. I called it Bundy Binge. I don't even like talking about it now. Yeah, you know, yeah, I remember back then, and my, there was a movie called Black Christmas with Olivia Hussey and, and Margot Kidder. And it was around the time when... It was like 75, 73, I think, around that time. And it was the most scariest movie that these girls get killed in the sorority house and they get in these phone calls. And that was around the time Bundy was just lurking in and out, whatever he was doing. You know, um, There's some chilling uh, feelings happening right now because of the murders in Idaho with uh, the alleged defendant is Brian Koberger. And there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of the theories that's cooking right now is that uh, if Kohlberger did it, which we don't know, um, but there's a lot of evidence, um, pe- some people think that he was doing a Bundy uh, copycat because there's lots of similarities. Um, so I, I can't escape it even now. What I do find interesting, you could the eyes don't lie. And he has Bundy eyes. And that's what I will say, you know, from being a guy from Brooklyn, it's like, you, you know, you learn a couple of things, strong handshake, always look somebody right in the eye because the eyes don't lie. And he has like, he has psychotic eyes and his path is very similar to Bundy where he yeah, was a criminal justice major. So was Ted. Yeah. That's crazy. And he, and there's an interesting thing too, which, um, as I said, I've been turning down a lot of interviews about Kohlberger. Um, but Kohlberger was from a state, Washington State, where there's no death penalty. And there's an insanity defense that's still active and viable. And he goes 10 miles to Idaho, where the, there is a death penalty and there is no insanity defense. Um, so, I, I mean, he was in, you know... Uh, Pullman, Washington, which is a very large college with a lot of beautiful people. And he goes 10 miles to Idaho. So I I just find that really interesting. I'm done with the being a defense lawyer is a really dark life. And I'm pretty much done with it. It is a dark life because you know what? You're taking it home with you at the end of the day, you know, and you're living with it. I mean, when you would take home Bundy's situation into your house, did you just want to just grab a, just a drink of something and just get lost and just like erase it for a moment from your head? Well, in the beginning, it was really easy for me to, to compartmentalize, sorry. Hmm. Um, and back in those days, I didn't 
do too much alcohol and I smoked pot, uh, which was, you know, good old Mexican pot, which had the five, smoke five joints to get high. But yeah. um, the, the evidence against Ted in the beginning was very minimal. Uh, and so my belief that he became the Ted that we know he was um, took a while. Uh, I, I felt disgusted with myself at times uh, representing Bundy once I figured out what had happened, what uh, happened. and who he was. But he never would fess up about the, the when he the young little girl supposedly is buried underneath the college in Tacoma over there. There's a story I forget the girl. That was one of Anne Rule's theories. He yeah. never told me about that. He did tell me about killing a young man in my book. That was one of the things that Ted actually confessed to you. And actually, Ted, before he passed away, he gave you permission to you yes. speak. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's important. Um, yeah, I, he w- uh, wrote me a waiver of the attorney-client privilege. I still have the original handwritten ones. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Eerie. It's eerie. Mm-hmm. But but then also... box in my closet in Mexico getting mildewed. Which <laughs> you know what? You need to keep that because let me tell you something that stuff probably john i'm gonna tell you something you'll make more money just selling that than take any trial never occurred to me but you're probably right let me ask you ted actually cried to you huh he you talk about that that's very interesting here you got this guy who's so evil inside and he broke down afterwards and then finally broke down doesn't understand why he is the way he is in christ to you tell me about that moment well it was after his second escape and he's in florida which of course he shouldn't have been uh and he's in this like hannibal lecter type cell that they built for him in miami so there's four walls of bars and there's guards all around and it was the only cell so it was kind of like ultra security and i went in there and when it was in miami um, the trial was in mind. And um, I walked in and he was on the floor crying. And yeah, I had not seen that before. Um, but it seemed very sincere that he was crying. And then he looked up at me and he said, John, I want to be a good person. I'm just not. Wow. So that was pretty interesting. That's certainly a side of Ted Bundy that nobody else saw, I think. Um, and he remained emotional for quite some time. I do remember uh, one of the guards coming up and asking if he or I needed help, because I think I was quite emotional also. And I remember there was a chaplain who also came up and talked to Ted a bit. But, um, you know. That was, he finally broke from being the Ted when you first got him when in the beginning, because he wasn't really getting personal with you. It was, he was pretty much business in the beginning. You go, oh, yeah, It was a total fake. So, yeah, um, and most sociopaths don't have that kind of aha moment, but he did. But it wasn't long. I mean, this emotional uh, vendetta with Ted didn't last more than an hour or so. He had a girlfriend at the time, Ted, too, while this was all going on. Naive. Carol. I mean, Carol. Carol, yeah. We had and, a uh, child with. Wow. And what did he call the child? Rosebud. Because wow. uh, he was fascinated with Citizen Kane. That's, that's uh, right. And, wow. so, and when he got arrested in Utah, he was pretending to be a cop at the mall where he picked up Cal- Carol Durant. Mm-hmm. Carol became mm-hmm. the hero of the whole thing because she escaped and identified him eventually. But he called himself Officer Rosebud. Oh. No, I guess Rosebud is just a 
piece in a jigsaw puzzle. Then after his second escape, when he's caught in Florida under bizarre circumstances by some overweight cop, Ted was in the best shape of his life. Yeah. And uh, I get, I'm in my office in Pioneer Square, and at seven or eight o'clock at night, and I get this call from my answering service. Um, there's a Mr. Rosebud on the phone. And I went, I knew it was Ted. Um, so that was the hardest night of my career, probably, because I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And I realized that he got, he was picked up for something really minor. And I realized that they released him. He just killed more people. So uh, I almost called the task force. I had my hand on the phone. And then I, I thought, well, maybe I'll just call the media and tell them. And I didn't do that. Then I called a friend of mine who was an ethics professor at the University of Washington Law School. And he said, no, you can't say anything. And so I don't think I slept all that night. And then yeah. the next morning, the headline was, Ted Bundy arrested in Florida. So it's it's, it's great right here. Debbie uh, says over here, did he cry because he knew he was going to die? Like he, he knew the ending was coming, or no? No, he just. Well, you know, my feeling is is that he he was honest when he said, "I want to be a good person, but I'm not." This couldn't be. But then you'll see these interviews of him, and and he doesn't blame it on on porn or anything else. It's just he did in the end, but it was all end. it was all bullshit. It was all bullshit. Yeah. But he didn't come from an abusive home. Well, his stepfather wasn't very kind to him. And, you know, he thought his mother was his sister until he found that out. So a lot of people focus on that. But for God's sakes, a lot of people have poor childhoods and they don't turn into serial killers. So, you know, Ted Bundy wasn't a serial killer because he didn't get a tricycle when he was four years old. He was a serial killer because he was evil. Did they use ever use Ted? And correct me, maybe other people know for any other cases like ever go to him or when oh, well, they they he told me he killed over 100 people he also told a detective that at one point um i don't know if it's true i know that's what he told me because you can't believe everything he's saying too no but they did believe they never had dna see in those days yeah so um but about 10 years ago i got calls from detectives in california thinking that he was responsible for some of the deaths in California. And could I help him at all? And I said, well, if I could, I sure would. Um, but I couldn't. And he never specified that. Um, but they looked at him for a lot. I mean, if, if he told me the truth when he said, said he killed over 100 people, then there's 100 bodies out there somewhere. John Henry here. And uh, check it out, The Devil's Defender. You could check this out right here. I'll put the links down below. And uh, so many different stories, so many different cases uh, that you, you talk about. Um, how would you like to be remembered? Probably the cases I'm most proud of was the battered women cases I did. Yeah. I helped establish, that's in the book too, but I helped establish a battered women's defense nationally. Um, so my two clients, I, I think I'm most proud of those. Um, I'm very proud of um, the three young black men I represented over the last five years for free, more or less. And, how I resolve those in their favor. Um, not, you know, unfortunately I'll never get away from the shadow of Ted Bundy. Yeah. Um, but you know, those are the ones it's interesting because the same time I was representing Ted Bundy, I was asked by the Northwest Washington women's law project to represent these two women <laughs> in battered women's cases. And which I did for free and I won and I helped establish law, um, Establishing the fact that there is such a thing as a battered woman's defense, which is totally true. Um, no question about it. Yeah. 
So those are the ones I'm most proud of, I think. I will add a little editorial here because you flashed my book a few times, which is thank, thank you very much. Oh, you're very well. Thanks for sharing. You know what? Thanks for sharing your life story with us. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you don't really make money off of a first book, particularly um, if you're not well known. Um, I mean, well known as an author. Um, but I was very honored about a year ago. I looked my book up on Amazon and I, I, I promised myself a while ago I wasn't going to Google myself anymore. Um, so uh, I looked up on Amazon and there's a little flag in the corner, which you'll find if you go to Amazon. And it said, Amazon Editor's Choice of Best Nonfiction. So that was quite an odd. I mean, first of all, it's not true. Excuse me. It's the same year that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's book came out. Trying to tell me my best book is better than hers? No way. Um, but they thought it was. So if you look it up on Amazon, it's still there. And I know the Ted Bundy thing gets old, but thank you very much for sharing what you did with us. As I said, it's nice to talk about something other than Ted, which we did more. I think. Yeah, we definitely did. And and uh, yeah, you have a lot of great stories. I want to talk more, you know, 60s, music from the 60s. I do have a lot more rock and roll stories. I would like to. Would you come I back? Maybe the Yardbirds. When, who, is, who, oh. is the lead, who is the lead guitar player? What, for the Yardbirds with Jeff Beck? No, the original one. The original one. Eric Clapton. Oh, Eric Clapton. That's right. That's right. That's right. They were wore uniforms. <laughs> Whoa. Now you're gonna have now you gotta come back, John, and over here. This will be great. I'll edit this, I'll make this look good, but wait, don't go nowhere. Everybody, thanks for being part of VIP All Access Patreon with us. And uh uh thanks for subscribing, supporting the channel. In the meantime, I'm gonna put links for John's book, and you'll see above John's head after this, there'll be a link pop-up, it'll take you right to the website. Um, order the book right now, The Devil's Defender and Hopefully John does another book. Hey, and everybody, it is 4th of July, and uh, I have to bring back the 70s. Yeah, happy 4th of July. The beaches are open. Go have fun. Have a good time. It's a, it's a great photo. Thank it's you, a great man. photo. It's a great All right. photo. All right, John. Hold on. Make sure you leave your comments down below and make sure to subscribe and click on the next box. Watch something else that's really cool and special. Until then, who loves you, baby? We do. Mwah.